Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. It's great to be all back together again after the snow, and lovely to have Willie with us this morning. Welcome, Willie. Uh, as usual, I hope you can stay and have some tea or coffee with us after this service. Our service will be led by our minister, Katrina, and everything we need to follow the service is both on our order of service and on the screen. Just a wee reminder that after the service this morning, there will be a meeting of the pastoral team. Thank you, Anne. It's good to be together again after last week. I don't know about you, but it's, I felt very bereft almost, being not able to be together. Um, so I know some of you listened to my homegrown podcast, which was very gracious of you. Um, but I took communion with that. I listened to it alongside other people. And when it got to the communion bit, it felt really real, as if actually we were together although we were apart. I've just looked down at my piece of paper. It says, call to worship, and I didn't put one down this week. That's pretty rubbish, isn't it? But let's hear these words, which I remember from Scripture, from the Psalms. I rejoiced when they said to me, let us go to Jerusalem, and our feet are surely standing in your courts, O Jerusalem. Our opening hymn this morning picks up the theme of healing which will weave its way through the whole service today. Lord, we come to ask your healing. Teach us of love.
And so we come to God in prayer. And of course, after I have led us in prayer, we are invited to join together in the family prayer. The prayer Jesus gave as a pattern to his friends in our own first languages and most familiar versions. So let us pray together. Healing God, as we gather today, we do so seeking to become more aware of your presence around us, within us, among us. Each of us has come here from a life that is a unique blend of experience, good, bad and indifferent. However our week has been and however we feel right now, we believe that you love us and long for us to flourish. And so in the quietness of our hearts, we bring to you the significant moments of our week. Hopeful God, even in the darkest and saddest places, you reach out for us in love. Each of us comes to you today knowing that, however small, there have been moments in our week that have brought sadness, disappointment or regret As we quietly name them before you now, please renew our own hope that we can become the people you created us to be, whole, flourishing and loving. Holy God, You are so far beyond our understanding that it blows our minds and yet you entrust so much to us. Be with us now as we offer to you in the language of our hearts our prayers for your continued redemption and healing of all creation as we pray together saying Our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
have um, a picture, a picture that I planned to use last week, but I thought I might as well use it this week. Does anybody know what connects these three pictures? Three badges. Medicine? Yeah, kind of. Crosses? Yep. Kind of both, really. Yep. So, British Red Cross is... um, an organisation that one of the things it does is a lot of first aid training and um, a bit of nursing, sort of home nursing training at a kind of um, a non-professional level. Um, St John's Ambulance on the right, um, very similar. And St Andrew's Ambulance is a Scottish organisation that does much the same. But you're right, they all have crosses on them. Uh, the Red Cross cross is actually, who knows the story of that? Who used to watch Blue Peter when they were growing up, who's my age? Anybody know what the Red Cross cross originates from? Swiss flag. Yeah, it's the Swiss flag, which is a white cross on a red background. And they reversed the colours when, when the Red Cross was founded in Switzerland. So, but it is actually, if you dig back into the history, apparently it is a Christian cross. Um, St. John's Ambulance is a Maltese cross and the St. Andrew's one is a St. Andrew's cross, which is why it's a kind of squatty soul tire. So all of these symbols have the cross as a sign of health, of healing, of hope. And this is a fairly typical sign you'll see anywhere you go now. Um, if you're in a school or an office or a shop, you will find signs that say first aid. 
that look like that. So a white cross, we've gone back to um, the Swiss cross, in fact, here, on a green background, because that's the colour that we're supposed to use for this kind of signs. So a cross as a sign of healing. But where does it come from, I wonder? And what signs have been used for healing in the past? Well, who knows what this one is? It's a snaky one. Katrina? Asclepius. Asclepius, yes. I don't know how to say it either, and I had to write it down because I knew I would forget if I didn't. Asclepius. So it's like a rod with a snake on it. And on the right-hand side is one I managed to find online from a chemist's uh, shop, an apothecary shop, um, which has a green cross, <coughs> a rod of Asclepius, and some scales, which I guess are supposed to symbolise something about justice and equality. Who can remember, and if you're my age or older, you might, when we used to have that kind of sign on some chemist shops or on medicine bottles or a similar sign. You could have had the American one, which is actually not strictly correct, but it has two snakes and wings. Um, it's, it's not the correct one. Anybody else? Was it just me that had a chemist shop when I was a child that had that sign outside it? No? You, you remember it? Yep, you remember it? So it used to be a sign that was used on chemist shops. And it's a, a very ancient sign of healing. And nobody's quite sure why it's used. But when I did a bit of research this week, here are some of the ideas that people thought it might be. What does a snake do every year as it grows? Sheds its skin. Sheds its skin. That's right. Thank you, Wendy. So the idea of sloughing off that which is old and dead or dying to reveal what is new and living and healthy. It's one of the ideas. What do snakes do, or some snakes, not all, but some snakes do that we don't like? They bite, yes, they have venom. So venom can be fatal, can't it, in some snakes? It can be poisonous. But the reason the snake, of course, bites is to protect itself. So poison to kill off that which threatens. And it is a fact that quite a few contemporary medicines are in fact very controlled doses of poisonous substances. So warfarin, for example, or um, doxotaxel, paclitaxel, who are originally utery-devised chemotherapy drugs. So also another image of the snake is of wisdom. Who's ever heard of snakes being associated with wisdom? You have Ailey, yeah? Where have you heard that? Thank you. I'll just repeat that because that was new, that's new knowledge for me, so thank you, Ailey, but it might be new for you as well. In Greek mythology, there are two symbols of wisdom. The owl that represents wisdom from the heavens and the snake represents wisdom from the earth. So thank you for that, Ailey. That's, that's really helpful because I didn't know that. And actually, if you read the Bible in some translations from the Hebrew, in Genesis, it says the snake was wise and that the humans wanted wisdom. So it is actually there in our history, even if it's not particularly um, something that we recognise. And of course, Jesus once said to his followers, you should be wise as serpents 
and innocent as doves. And, you know, I think those characteristics are what our medical professionals and medical researchers hold together as they care for people. They have to use wisdom and knowledge to work out the best treatment plan for people. But they also need the compassion, the gentleness to take care of them. So I think it's good today, just before we sing, to have a very short prayer, which I'm going to make up so it might be a bit weird, for those whose work is in the medical profession. Let's pray. <clears throat> Loving God, we thank you for those whose call in life is to serve those who are unwell in body, mind or spirit. For those who are researchers and those who are practitioners. And at this time, when in our own nation the NHS is squeezed and hospitals are not able to do all that they would wish to. We pray for justice, love and flourishing in those contexts. Amen. And so we're going to sing again. Be still for the presence of the Lord, the Holy One is here.
Our first reading this morning is from Numbers, chapter 21, starting at verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom. But the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents upon the people, and they bit the people, so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent, and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole and whenever a serpent bit someone that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. And then from John's Gospel chapter 3 starting at verse 14. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light, and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God.
Last week, if you were able to listen online, you will remember that I reflected or we reflected on the idea of the foolishness of the cross. A God who does something totally scandalous. What kind of God would allow themselves to be arrested, tried, beaten, executed as a common criminal? Because whatever your worldview, it's just something that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And yet, that, it seems, is what God chooses to do. And we're told that the folly of God is wiser than human wisdom. And today, we're going to look at another rather strange image of the cross, or the cross event, if you like, in which Jesus compares his own role with that of the bronze serpent on a pole that Moses used to bring healing to those afflicted by fatal snake bites. In doing that, he's making a very powerful claim for the cross, that the cross has a purpose to bring healing or wholeness to those who look upon it. Now, it's fairly clear that as we look at these readings, which are a bit strange, it has to be said, we're entering the realms of myth and metaphor. And the symbolism of that time that Jesus and his followers would have understood is often very much lost on us. It's all got lost in history. We don't really know how they understood these things. We've become very sophisticated, very wise And that which we can't understand literally, we tend to dismiss critically. And perhaps what we need to do is recapture the good sense of myth and mystery that allows us to grasp the enormity of what is being described here. As we've already seen, the snake on a pole symbol is very ancient and goes way beyond Jewish and later Christian thinking. It reflects a polytheistic worldview where almost everything had its own deity. The rod of Asclepius is one that represents this god of healing. And if you look at the Hippocratic Oath in its English translation, I have to confess, of its early forms, it included explicit reference to a number of deities including Asclepius so people would swear by the gods to use their skills for the good of others first do no harm and then whatever follows from that I can't remember because I didn't read it all and I haven't memorized it apparently in ancient times there were temples devoted to Asclepius And people who were sick would make pilgrimages to these temples in order to find a cure. And in these temples, you would find snakes crawling around on the floor. Not venomous ones, thankfully. Non-venomous snakes, because they believed that snakes had something good about them, that they symbolised healing, and that to be amongst them was a sign of hope and things that are good. So that's very different from the view of Jews and later of Christians towards the serpent or the snake as a symbol of evil. 
When I was growing up, which was a long time ago now, um, we would hear the Genesis story at school and in Sunday school, and it would inspire a lot of hatred of snakes. And you know, in this country, we don't have a lot of snakes. We have grass snakes and we have adders, and I've never seen either. Um, but people could become quite frightened of snakes. Does anybody know what the word is for the, the fear of snakes? I didn't. I had to look it up. Ophidiophobia. Fear of snakes. Well, some cultures pursues, perceived even snakes as wise and helpful, but Jews and Christians have tended to view them as cunning and deceitful. And so as we continue to reflect this morning, I think it's helpful to hold at the back of our minds this strange conundrum. Snakes as bad and snakes as good. You can't read the passage we heard from the book of Numbers this morning without asking some very hard questions. We believe in a God of love and yet here we are told that God inflicts a plague on the very people that have been chosen because they've been disobedient. Doesn't sound very loving, does it? The cure for the, the snake bites is this bronze snake mounted on a wooden pole. So it's a graven image, something that only a little bit later we will be told is verboten. You mustn't make graven images, we are told. So what on earth is going on here? Perhaps we need to remind ourselves that all writing, even that inspired by God, reflects its, country, its culture and its time, and that what we have here is a written-down version much, much later when people have reflected and interpreted what's going on. But you can't get away from the fact that it's a very strange story in which that which was associated with death, the snake, becomes a symbol of healing. Can a good snake defeat a bad snake? Just as an aside, when I was researching the rod of Asclepius and what people think it might refer to, one of the things actually cropped up was this reading in Numbers. And it appears that there is a parasitic worm still found in the northern parts of Africa but in ancient times up into what we know as the Holy Land, that tunnels into people's skin. And the only treatment for it is to lure it out with cold water and then to wind it round a stick. And seemingly to this day, that's what they do. They'll do it in aseptic conditions nowadays, but that's what you do. You wind this thing round the stick, you shove your hand into some cold water and, and hopefully the rest of the snake follows and comes out. So maybe this image of the snake on the pole has some reference to that parasite and maybe it doesn't. We don't know. But I thought it was quite interesting. And I thought the idea of the snake as a parasite that invades the host and damages its well-being is perhaps a viable metaphor for the pernicious effects of sinfulness even in our own day. So, we've got an ancient symbol. 
in which the ambivalent nature of the snake, both wise and cunning, killing and healing, is expressed. And then we have the words of Jesus. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now we hear that as a foretelling of the crucifixion, the cross event, because we're living the other side of it. But that would have been a very amusing thing for him to say to people living in his own time. It's certainly quite possible that those who heard him would have been familiar both with the Moses story and with the mythology and beliefs of the surrounding nations and the idea of the rod of Asclepius. So Jesus is equating himself with the snake and all that the snake symbolises. Just as a snake was put on a pole to heal people, so Jesus will be put on a tree, a pole, to heal. Now, I suspect there are several PhD theses in all of that, and I don't have a brain big enough to cope with it. But we have something here where Jesus is saying, what I'm about is healing and wholeness. So what is healed through the cross event? The lifting up of Jesus on the cross. Well, here we come to that most famous verse in the entire Bible, the one that many of us learned off by heart as children. That God loved the world or in the Greek, and therefore the word I frequently use, the cosmos, the whole of creation, so much that God's only son was sent into it, not to condemn it, but to save it, to heal it, and to restore it. And that's pretty mind-blowing. So we come back to this same God who is foolishly wise, who is crazily loving, who does the opposite of what might be expected. Healing, the restoration of wholeness and well-being, not just, or I would say not even necessarily, physical cure, is made available to the whole of creation through the cross. But there is a catch. Just as the pilgrims had to go to the temple of Asclepius, just as the ancient Hebrews, Israelites, had to look at the bronze snake, so Jesus' followers need to believe. Believe not as signing up to a set of doctrines, not praying the right prayer or whatever it might be but living out that truth because we are the body of Christ in this place at this time and so the job of healing of bringing wholeness is ours that means we must constantly and consciously seek out the good in others and in each other. It means we must consciously care for this beautiful, fragile planet. 
it means that when we meet together and when we are apart, we seek to be a community of healing and wholeness, forgiveness, inclusion, acceptance, embrace. And that's a pretty wonderful privilege. And it's also a pretty awesome responsibility. This cross event in which Christ becomes a despised serpent, a lofted, raised a a loft, I'd say it, for each and every one of us, individually and personally, and for the farthest reaches of the universe. This operates on every scale imaginable, from the individual to the universal. One of the things that is good about this congregation is that we reject an overly individualistic expression of faith. We don't have it all about, well, it's okay, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven and the earth can go to hell. Actually, we understand salvation as universal and across time. And that's good because it prompts us to care for the planet and to care for each other. But perhaps sometimes, sometimes it's good to recognise that we too are hurt or damaged and need to be healed. Perhaps healed of the sting of past regrets, past hurts. Perhaps to be healed of bitterness or envy, selfishness, lowest self-esteem or any of the other nebulous diseases and parasites that destroy us from the inside out. Most probably, we won't get a miraculous healing. But we come to the one who offers healing, the one on the cross, the one who died to bring wholeness for all. And it seemed good this morning to offer us an opportunity to respond to the idea of the cross as a means of healing. And so there are two options that you may like to take advantage of or you may not. And whatever you choose is fine and right. There is an invitation to come and be anointed with a sign of a cross, either marked on your forehead or on your hand if you hold it out for me with a short blessing and there is the offer to be given a cross-shaped bookmark with any encouraging text on it to take away to remember um, that this is what the cross is about and Grace and Katrina are going to help me with that Um, if you would like any of those but you can't physically walk out to the front if you wave near the start um, I can come to you Whilst we're doing this, we're going to be singing over and over the chant that is printed on the order of service and is also on the screen. And if you can um, walk and sing at the same time, that would be brilliant. Um, But we're going to sing it through once first so we all got the sense of it before we move into that act of response. So you may choose to be anointed, you may choose to receive a cross, you may choose to do both, you may choose to do neither. All of those are perfectly fine. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. 
This morning our prayers for ourselves and for others seek the active presence of the body of Christ, Mother Church, in bringing the healing of the cross to all creation. And this is one of the Sundays where we're using some prayers which have been written by others. And for this morning, I've adapted prayers written by Nick Fawcett. Uh, Nick was actually a student of one of our former ministers, Bruce Keeble, when Bruce was Director of Pastoral Theology at Regent's College in Oxford. So there's a nice circularity about the prayers this morning. So let us pray. Living God, we praise you for all that is good and precious in human life. The value, the potential, the uniqueness of every individual. For all creation and for our whole family of humankind, we pray. We pray for all whose humanity is abused and exploited, victims of violence, of torture and rape, children drawn into a world of prostitution, those addicted to drugs, those living under corrupt and oppressive regimes. For our family of humankind, bring the healing of the cross. We pray for those whose humanity is diminished by prejudice and discrimination, subjected to insults, intimidation, hatred and suspicion, day after day denied justice. Time and again deprived the opportunity to prove themselves. For our family of humankind, bring the healing of the cross. We pray for those denied the chance to fulfil their potential, whether through lack of education, insufficient resources, limited opportunities, or a denial of their human rights. For our family of humankind, bring the healing of the cross. We pray for those whose lives are blighted by need, burdened by debt or unemployment, oppressed by poverty, hunger or homelessness, crushed by natural catastrophe or personal disaster. For our family of humankind, bring the healing of the cross. We pray for those who have lost belief in their own worth, overwhelmed by self-doubt, Beset by inner fears, their confidence broken, their faith in the future destroyed. For our family of humankind, bring the healing 
of the cross. We pray for those who mourn loved ones, life suddenly seeming empty of meaning and stripped of joy. We pray for those who battle against sickness and disease, unable to live life to the full and fearful as to what the future may hold. For our family of humankind, bring the healing of the cross. Living God, grant that the day will come when the worth of all will be recognised, the rights of all respected, the good of all pursued, and harmony among all be enjoyed. Reach out in love and show us how we, the body of Christ and as members of Mother Church, can respond to the needs around us. For our family of humankind, bring the healing of the cross. Amen. to you these our gifts of money asking you to help us to employ them wisely to bring the healing of the cross in this community this city and throughout your world amen and so we pray for the healing of the nations as we sing our closing hymn together <laughs> 